Revelation chapter 19, this morning, saints, with God's help, we will be considering verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. Ah. Yeah, 7 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord, for this is God's very word. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said to me, These are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word and now to the preaching of his word. Would you join me? Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have read your holy word. We believe that it is so. Now, dear God, help us to understand and maybe not completely, but to, in a sense, perceive the majesty and the glory of that blessed day that you will give to us supreme intimacy. One, Lord, that uh, pales even in comparison to what we we have now, but what we'll have in the fullest sense when sin is vanquished, when our bodies are renewed and emptied of sin, and when Satan is finally defeated. Lord, give us grace. Lord, may the words of my, my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, be glorified. I decrease in Christ and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Well, good morning, saints. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the Apocalypse of John. Last week, saints, we considered the contrast between the harlot and the bride. We noted that these two symbolic women were also symbolic of two cities or two kingdoms, the city of God and the city of men. Here in Revelation, John is given a vision of a time when the city of man will fall and the city of God will come to a consummate completion, consummate completion. This completion of the kingdom of God is marked by the announcement of an event. Here's the event. The time of the marriage of the Lamb has come. The time of the marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage of the Lamb marks the the consummate completion of the kingdom of God. The marriage, the time of the marriage marks the completion or the consummation of the completion of the, of the kingdom of God. For the bride has made herself ready. She has held fast to the testimony of Christ. The clothes of the church have been, as it were, laid out for her because of her faithful acts of righteousness. Last week we noted that these acts of righteousness are performed by us. They are deeds that God, though, is working in us. We perform the deeds because God is performing in us. We work because God is at work within us. Producing good works. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 We are his workmanship. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God before or prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is crafting us. We are his workmanship. We are a rugged rock that is being chipped away and chiseled so that we would ultimately, finally image Christ and what we will be when God is done chiseling away at us. Um, Michelangelo would have nothing on what God is doing when he is done chiseling away at us, his creatures. These works that we work are being worked in us and they have been long prepared by God that we might perform these acts of righteousness, these deeds of righteousness. They are not the cause, as we learned last week, of our justification. They are the evidence of our justification. One cannot be present without the other, though. You cannot say that I am justified, but have no works of righteousness, no deeds of righteousness that evidence that you have been made right. Not the cause of your righteousness, not the cause of your justification, the evidence of them. You are justified. What then necessarily follows your being justified are deeds or acts of righteousness. Again, they are not your entrance into heaven, but you won't get in without them. They are not your entrance into heaven, but you won't get in without them. We are holy. Yes, we are being made holy and we shall be holy. God is at work within us. He is. We are his workmanship. He is um, chiseling away at us. The Lord commands, be holy or perfect as my father is holy or perfect. While we know that perfection will not be attained in this life, we believe, as Brother Dustin said to me last week, that this life is being used by God to perfect us. We are not perfect in this life, but God is using this life to perfect us. Therefore, our sufferings are not for our destruction. Rather, they are for our purification and ultimate perfection. Not for our destruction, but for our purification and our final perfection. Our disappointments, our labors, our enduring, and the like. They are all meant to refine us as pure gold. So that our faith, which is more precious than gold, may be found to be sincere, resulting in praise and glory to God. Revelation 19.8, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, the clothes that are given, I didn't, I didn't emphasize this as well as I wanted to last week or as well as I should have. They are the reward for our overcoming. They are the reward for our enduring, for our holding fast to Christ. Our Lord says to the church in Sardis, which he says to all churches, Revelation 3, 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in garments of white or white garments or if you overcome, your reward will be a white garment. These are the garments that we find here in Revelation 19. These white garments are, are fine linen. They are bright and clean. They are given when one is converted. You have it now. And you will also be given those bright and clean linen garments as also your reward in, in the new creation. You have them now. And you will be also given them as your reward in the new creation for holding fast to the testimony of Christ. I apologize for not emphasizing that as much last week. It was almost as if just here, but then what do we do there? You get them also there. The bride possesses pure garments during your, our earthly sojourn. 
We are called to put on Christ, to be clothed in Christ, to, to keep our garments clean, aren't we? The Lord commends the church of Sardis for not soiling their garments. That is, for not compromising with the harlot. And because they don't compromise, they will be blessed with, in the new creation, new garments. Faithful and clean. Pure and bright. We have garments, and we will be rewarded one day with more garments. And then we shall have intimate communion with God. Absent of sin and without end. This morning then, we will consider with God's help the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb. And you might even say the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. With three points. Number one, and these probably shall go rather quickly. Number one, what is this marriage supper? What is this marriage supper? These will be drawn from verses 7 through 10. In verse 9, the angel commands John to write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Excuse me. Now, we, we need to stop and say, John has been writing. Um, so what is the, the reason why the angel says write? John has been writing. The reason why the angel commands John to write, or, or the emphasis is, is, is write, is because the angel wants John to emphasize that what he is about to say is especially important for you to take note of. What he is about to say, he wants John to emphasize. And he also wants to emphasize what will come as a result of what John is about to say. That is, those who are vindicated by God through faith in Christ have intimate communion with God. And as a result, they are blessed. Those who are vindicated by God through faith in Christ, I should say, justified, vindicated, justified by faith through Christ, they have intimate communion with God. And as a result of their intimate communion with God, listen to this word, they are blessed. A few things to uh, note. The angel that commands John uh, to write is commanding John to, to say, if you come to this marriage supper, you're blessed. I, now, I've said that redundantly because we are so used to hearing the word blessed. Therefore, don't let the, our familiarity with the word blessing lose the immensity of what is being communicated here. The angel is saying that those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, blessed, will enjoy, blessed, fullness of joy, blessed, perfect peace, blessed, and intimate communion with God, unlike any type of communion or fellowship or intimacy that you share here now on earth, blessed. I hope that that helps our um, word, the word blessed. To, to not be used so flippantly. How are you doing? I am blessed. Yes, you are. Do you understand what that means? Not just happy. And sometimes when we say I'm blessed, it means I'm okay. Right? When we, how are you doing? I'm blessed. Really, we just go like, I'm really not that well. I'm okay. I'm getting by. John is saying those who are invited to this marriage supper will have, and, and, and listen, saints, for me to use this word and for us to go, oh yeah, you're using words. They, they far out, 
outweigh, and they far do not measure the depth. Uh, we, we talk about um, fathom, right? Fathoming is like putting something down to measure the depths of something. You're fathoming the depths. When I'm using this word blessed and what it means, we cannot fathom the depths. There's no bottom to what this means because it's in God. There is no bottom to what this word blessed means when we're trying to fathom what it means to have fullness of joy, what it means to have perfect peace, what it means to have intimate communion with God. There is no bottom to that. Let's see how deep that that is. There's no bottom there. There's not enough length on a rope to say, I found the bottom. John is saying, if you are invited to this marriage supper, there will be a fullness of joy that you cannot get to the end of. There will be a peace that goes beyond perfect, complete, that that we can't even that we can't even understand, plumb the depths of, right? There will be an intimate communion with God that will be unending, that belongs to those who are invited to this marriage and then supper. Nothing that is presently hindering you in your intimacy with God will be present then. Gosh, you know, I, I really would love to be closer with God, but sometimes I find that I am so tired. I, I really would love even more intimacy with God, but sometimes I find that, that the things of this world seem to, to cloud my mind and sometimes even sometimes rob me of, of, of the amount that I want to give out to God. And sometimes you say, it's nothing. I just don't feel like I have enough to give to him. I want more of him. None of those things that you think that are, are impeding your intimacy with God, none of those things will be there. The body will be renewed, absent of sin. You know that temptation that when you're reading and then you go, I wonder what's going on on, and then whatever that, that other platform is. That distraction won't be there. Satan will be vanquished. Babylon and, and all of his harlots will be gone. Nothing will hinder you, the saint, from finding delight and enjoyment in God forever. That is being blessed. You, he, will be blessed in the fullest sense of the word. And John uses, I love this, John uses two metaphors, and, and if you're taking notes, you should emphasize the word metaphor, to communicate the blessing that is ours now, it's yours now, you're, you're experiencing it now, I pray, and the joy that will be ours enjoyed in the fullest sense of the word on that blessed day. The two metaphors that John uses is that of a marriage and that of a supper. Uh, metaphors. Remember, the angel is giving John visions, and John is interpreting those visions with symbols so that we can comprehend. John is seeing things, and John is saying, the best way that I can explain to you what I'm seeing is a marriage. The best way that I can explain to you what I'm seeing is a supper. The angel declares that those who will be present on that day will be blessed, and John uses the two highest experiences of intimacy known among men. To communicate the vision of what he's seeing. Marriage between, uh, let me emphasize this, between a man and a woman. And a, sh a supper shared among friends. Throughout the scriptures, God uses the analogy, the metaphor of marriage to describe his relationship to his people. So that we might get a sense of our union with him. 
Uh, Hosea 2.19, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfastness and love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me, he says, in my faithfulness. God says, you're my fiance, you're my bride, you, you belong to me. The metaphor of we are united in that sense. It's the best way that man can understand the unity that they have between, between them and God because of God. In Jeremiah 31 and Isaiah 54, Yahweh describes himself as the husband of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 50, the Lord addresses those who believe that God has divorced his people and simply says to them, show me the papers. You said I've divorced you. Uh, show me the papers that, that prove that I have sent your mother away, that I've divorced her. The metaphor or analogy of marriage continues in the New Testament. Paul sees marriage, this marriage union, as being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And interesting, the ministry of Christ begins at a wedding in Cana. And it is, it could be said that the one of the aspects of the works of Christ, the work of Christ, is to prepare the church for her final wedding. Ephesians chapter 5, 25, Paul says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, so that he might present the church to himself a in splendor, without spot or wrinkle. And then Paul says, I'm speaking of a mystery. I'm using marriage as this, this metaphor between the Christ and his church. But it's the kind of union that we have with him. The way that a husband is united to his wife. And then finally here in Revelation, John is given a vision of intimate communion that Christ and his bride share. And it's likened to marriage between man and a woman. Now, it's, it's important for us to ask. So, will there literally be, will, will we literally experience a wedding ceremony in the new creation? No, I don't, I, I don't believe that that is what John is communicating, nor do I believe that that, that, that that is something, literally, that we should be looking forward to or expecting in the new creation. A marriage ceremony like what we experience here on earth. Rather... And here's another thing. The Lord says um, people in the new creation, they do not marry, nor are they given in marriage. So then John is using this metaphor of marriage in order to give us a sense of what is taking place between us and God, marriage and supper. And he's done this on a few occasions, hasn't he? Uh, the saints in heaven, they sing. And John uses metaphors. Like many waters, thunder, and even lightning, or even many harpists to communicate to us the immensity, the beauty, and the power of the many voices in heaven. But it's not exactly that. It's the best that John can do to give us a sense of what it is. These metaphors are only, again, the closest thing that John can come up with to explain what he sees. So it is with the metaphor of marriage. It is meant to communicate what? The intimate communion that Christ and his church share in the new creation. In marriage, close intimacy is shared between man and woman. It is so close that in the consummation of marriage, the two become one flesh. It is that intimacy, in that intimacy, there is blessed communion. There, there is blessed intimacy. In verses 7 and 8, the saints of heaven rejoice. They are glad. They give glory to God because the time has come for the church to enjoy that eternal, intimate communion with Christ.
in spite of opposition from Babylon and the harlot. The church has held fast to the testimony of Christ. The church has been empowered to hold fast to Christ. She has remained faithful to her betrothed. And the time will come when all who have died shall be raised. And those who remain shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. When corruption shall put on incorruption. When uh, mortal shall put on immortality. The church shall be present, presented without spot or wrinkle. And she will experience in that particular moment, a moment that will never end, a time that will never end, happy union and intimacy with Christ without end. We shall behold him, saints. We shall have again, and I'm going to keep saying this, intimate communion with him. Our light shall become brighter as we are in the light. Our knowledge deeper, our love stronger. Our intimacy will be unmatched. Uh, there is only um, taste and, and glimpses of what we will, we will experience there in something that, that John says that we know now that is marriage. In marriage, we get a taste of it. But in heaven, we will know it in its fullest sense. The blessed intimacy doesn't stop there, though. Because John goes from using marriage and then combines it with a supper. And he doesn't do it nonchalantly. The blessed intimacy, it, it's intensified. John's saying, here's an intense um, experience of intimacy that you know, marriage. And let's intensify it. A supper. Uh, not only of a marriage, but of a wedding supper. He uses the whole ceremony. And then says, and then what they do when they, when they are celebrating their unity, their union, is they, they sit together and they, they, they have a face-to-face -face meal with one another. Saints, one of the most um, intimate moments that you can have with another human being is when you are sitting across from them sharing a meal. Um, and not sharing a meal, not like that, that oh, I, I see what you got on your plate, that looks good. Um, family style, if you will. We're all grabbing from the same plate and looking at each other and, and saying, that's good, huh? I, I know what you are eating because I am eating the same thing. Uh, not, oh, I don't like what's on that plate. Ugh, no, I, I could not. Even the smell of it is repulsing me. My, my wife does that from time to time. She doesn't like fish. So when I'm cooking fish, uh, she needs to eat over here and I need to eat, eat, eat over there. Our, our intimacy is, is broken at that moment because of uh, the things in the sea. Um, when we have those moments of intimacy over a supper, we are sharing or we are enjoying the same thing. We are enjoying the same meal. And on that day, that, that meal is not Christ, but it's compared to Christ. It's, it's compared to enjoying something that is so delightful, something that is so enjoyable. And we are all partaking of not it, but him. That meal will be Christ. He is the bread of heaven. He is the bread of life. He is true. His flesh is true. Meats, his blood is true blood. And we will enjoy it on that particular day. Not in the literal sense, but in the metaphorical sense. And it will be the most delightful thing that all of us are eating together. None of us will be repulsed by it. None of us will say, take your plate and eat over there. I, I don't like the smell or even the look of that. We will all enjoy the wonderful intimacy that we have with Christ. It will be a face-to-face -face fellowship over a meal. That meal, that person is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of my best memories are sitting with some of my family members and even some of you across from a table face to face, sharing thoughts, 
um, laughing, um, sometimes even crying, having good, intimate, deep conversations. The supper intensifies this idea of intimate communion expressed in the marriage metaphor because suppers are occasions of close table fellowship. It's why when we have our fellowship meals, you would do well to find someone that you say, I I haven't had this face to face with you yet. I've had the same face to face with you and and with you and I appreciate you, but I haven't had it with you yet. Let let me share a face to face with you today. The picture of Christ dining with his elect is meant to point to the state of blessedness that is our eternal reward. Imagine those moments when you're sitting across the table from someone and and it's, it's good. And then eventually it starts to taper off. Uh, there's times where I sit with some of the guys and, and once someone gets real silly, we all kind of stand up and go, okay, it's been, um, Ichabod, the glory has left. Let's, let's just go. It's, it's over. We, we get it. Time's up, right? We've had a long day now. It, 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 this was good. But those moments when it's good and you don't want to leave and you wish that this, this conversation that's happening does not stop. We get a taste of what it will be in glory without it. You know, those times you go, gosh, I, I could do this all day. But then eventually someone sitting by you goes, yeah, I can't. I got to go. There will be none of us going, I got to go. There will be no family functions to go to. There will be no job to to think about. There will be no game to to preoccupy our mind. All of these things, all of the distractions of Babylon, no more. I would say that's a that that is blessed. Blessed are those who are at this marriage. Blessed are those who are who are blessed with this intimacy, who are. Who are who have been given an invitation to this supper? We believe we fellowship with Christ now. Christ is present with us even now, as the Word of God is going forth. Christ is speaking to you. We believe that Christ will meet with us mystically at His table, and in the new, new creation, He will be present with us in the fullest sense of the word. In John seven through eight, or seven, verse seven through eight, John speaks of a marriage that will take place between the Lamb and His bride, the Church. And as a result, there is reach. When, when the scriptures say, in, uh, I don't know, verse 7, when scriptures say, rejoice, be glad, give glory to God. Over this intimacy that you have with the Lamb. Can I encourage you to read those verses? And remember that you are a part of that great assembly that will be rejoicing, that will be glad, and that will be giving glory to God. Don't look at, at that verse and go, that's wonderful what they will be doing. No, that, that is wonderful what you will be doing. God is, is in, inserting you into that wonderful moment. You will be there. This calls us to give glory to God because the time for the union of the Lamb and the bride has come. What a blessing that day will be for those who enjoy that union. What fullness of joy will be ours. What perfect peace will we finally know. What love and intimacy and wonderful communion will we, sh- we who trust in Christ, share with God. And, and I love what the angel does. Lest anyone think that this moment is too good to be true, the angel commands John to write at the very end of that, these are true words of God. Don't think for one moment this is a fairy tale. What I've just said, God told me to give to you. So tell them, God is saying these are true. Don't for one second think, not true. Not going to happen. These are the true words of God. Martin Luther made his pilgrimage to Rome. 
Because he believed that uh, if he performed all of these things, it would increase his, his likelihood of being uh, welcomed into the gates of heaven, as it were. He goes to Rome and he climbs the, the Scala Santa, which is the holy stairs on his knees. Because he was taught that God forgave sins of the persons who climbed these holy stairs on their knees. And when he finally got to the top, he looked back at all the stairs that he had climbed. And he recalled all the things that he had been taught about those stairs. And he asked himself this very simple question. Are any of these things true? He had reason to doubt. The traditions of Rome, at least for that particular... Well, the traditions of Rome, they, they are a fairy tale of men. But what the angel reveals to John is no fairy tale. These are the true words of God. You can trust... That those who have been invited to this marriage supper will know blessing in the fullest sense of the word. And you will. You will rejoice. You will be glad. And you will give glory to God if your trust is in Christ. Amen. Number two. Marriage because of the Lamb. Marriage because of the Lamb. These, these next two points will be shorter. But I think very important. Brothers and sisters, there is no marriage of the church there is no intimacy, there is no communion nor union without or apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That marriage takes place because of the Lamb. That union and intimacy takes place because of the Lamb. You are well aware of the fact that it was our willful sin and disobedience of God that made us enemies of God. We chose to be enemies of God. We chose to be enemies of God when we attempted to rob him of glory that is only due to him. No works could restore our right fellowship and communion with God. No works of ours. Uh, no offerings could restore right fellowship and communion with God. No offerings of ours. All our deeds were considered as uh, filthy rags to God. The Lord commanded that his people offer sacrifices. But through those sacrifices, they would learn that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away their sin could never take away the guilt of their sin. And it was to produce in them a, a longing for a better and lasting sacrifice. A, a sacrifice that would be once for all time. Notice that in these verses, John does not our, John does not refer to our, John does not refer to our being united to a king. He doesn't call it the marriage of the king and the supper has come. Notice that he doesn't say it's a royal title that Christ indeed is and has. Right. John doesn't even say the marriage of the lion of the tribe of Judah and the supper has. Come. He doesn't say that either, even though Christ, in fact, is the conquering lion of Judah. But 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 John doesn't use that title through the uh, apocalypse of John. There's a title that he uses for Christ more than any other title. It is the title of the lamb. Twenty-five times, more than any other book in all of the scriptures, John uses the title in order to refer to our Savior Christ as Lamb. Revelation 5, he's the Lamb standing as if slain before the throne of God. In Revelation 5, the living creatures, the elders, and the innumerable multitudes say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing, uh, we shall read later, and I think chapter 20 or so, 21, that there is a book that all those who are elect of God will, will 
will have been marked in before the foundation of the world. It is called the Lamb's, the Lamb's Book of Life. What are we to conclude from this title? Two things, and they, they will be brief. Number one, it is because Christ was slain as a lamb that our once marred relationship with God is now peacefully restored. And number two, that even in his highest glory, Christ still calls his people to regard him as lamb and as sacrifice for our sin. First, we owed an offering for sin that we neither desired to bring to God nor were we capable of bringing to God. All of our sacrifices fall short of that which is due to God most high. But God, who is rich in mercy, has provided that which he has required. He has given his one and only son, eternally begotten, not created, one who is one with the Father and the Spirit. He is the eternal word of God, the eternal wisdom of God, who assumed our flesh, and as you know, to heal our flesh. The sacrifice that God required to remove the guilt of sin is provided by God in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who John the Baptist said when he saw him walking on the banks of the river, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb. The one who was led away like a sheep to the slaughter. Christ is the Lamb. He became obedient to death, even death on a shameful cross. He is the Lamb. And why does he do this? He does this because of his great love that he has for us. He offers up himself because of his eternal love that he has for you. Greater man, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Christ says, I call you my friends. And what glory and power and love was displayed by the lamb. Then when he offers up his life for us, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. It is the whole person and work of Christ that stands for all time as the reason for our intimate communion with God. And we're talking about you will be blessed on that day. Don't forget why you will, you will be blessed. It is because of the Lamb. It is because of the one who laid down his life so that you would live. Hebrews 10, 12, but he having offering one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet by one offering. He perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Through the one finished perfect sacrifice of Christ, we, we who trust in Christ, we are made right with God and therefore, we will have a day when we will have and share perfect intimacy with God, perfect fellowship and communion with God. And it is because of the work and sacrifice of the Lamb. Because of the Lamb who is both the priest who offers and he is himself the sacrificial offering, we are perfected for all time. It is because of the offerings of the Lamb that we will experience blessing without end. And secondly, he links the memory of his grief with the manifestation of his glory as he was a lamb to redeem his church. So he also appears as a lamb in the marriage supper in the new creation. He was a lamb here. And when we see him in glory, we will see him as lamb there. Why? Because in glory, 
Christ is the Lamb who stands forever. It will always be because of His work that we are able to be there with Him and enjoy this blessing. And He presents Himself as a Lamb so that we never forget it. It is because of the sacrifice of the Lamb that we are able to enjoy blessing without end and blessing in its fullest sense. And it was as Christ offered Himself as a Lamb. It was then when He revealed the highest display of His love for you. How much does God love me? We see it in His offering Himself as a Lamb. That much. You will remember uh, my sermon on why did God become man? It was so that He might unveil or reveal His love for you in His Son by offering up His life as a ransom for many. Christ appears to say that he will, in heaven, that he will reveal himself to his bride in the manner in which he has most shown his love to his bride. And what is that manner? The manner of a king? No, though he is. The manner of a lion? No, though he is. It is in the manner in which Christ revealed the the love of the triune God in the most fullest sense of the word. It is when he offered himself as a lamb to be slain so that we might be forgiven of our sin and escape the just punishment of God that was due to us. Some of us, when we were married, my wife teases me about this, but some of us, when we were married, before some of the men, and also the women, we do something um, in preparation for that moment, don't we? We, we, we get a clean shave, the men. We, we get a, a nice haircut. Um, we, we might, we may even find a, 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 a special suit just for that occasion. And in doing all, and the women, you, you do all the things that you do. And, and in doing these things, you are in a sense preparing to show your, your beloved, I've done all these things. I'm presenting myself and by my exterior, I'm showing you how much I love you. That I would go through all of these, these preparations to show you I love you. In glory, Christ does the same thing, but he does it this way. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at the wound on my side. Go ahead, Thomas. See with what with what great love that I have loved you. That I have not only prepared myself as an offering for you, but I am, but I have also prepared you through your sojourning to be offered to me. He is the lover of our soul. And he is not willing that any that belong to him should perish. Five ble- bleeding wounds he bears. We just say. And it's because of those fl- five bleeding wounds that you and I will enjoy intimacy with him who loved us. The, the joy, the peace, the it's all because of him. We're, we're going to find it in all of those things in him. When the church, the bride, is gathered in the new creation, Christ will come unto her robed in that garment in which he most displayed his unsurpassing love for her, in the garment of a lamb. This overwhelming display of love 
may be why in verse 10, John can do nothing but fall down and worship at the feet of the angel who's showing him all these things. John sees all these things and, and, and the angel says, believe these are true. And John's response is to fall down and just worship him. And the angel says, get, get, get up. Don't do that. Worship God. But may I say to you. There will be men who will show you wonderful things in this life. Don't worship the one who shows you the wonderful things. Worship God from who these wonderful things come from. Pastor Isaiah and I will show you wonderful things. There are other men in this world who are ministers who will show you wonderful things. Don't worship them. If they are a minister worth their salt, worship God. If at any moment... um, we are tempted to, to think that we are the ones who have all the answers. May God humble us. We don't. And may, uh, may we be faithful in saying, no, worship God. Worship. We are, we, he says to, to John, I'm a fellow servant along with you and your brothers. Worship God. Worship God. You have your favorite minister. Worship God. You like the way this guy says it. Worship God. Praise God for what he's allowing that man to show you. Worship God. Fall down at the feet of no man except the God man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship the Lamb. Dear ones, there would be no intimate communion. There would be no blessing in the fullest sense if it were not for the Lamb. Rejoice for the Lamb. Be glad for the Lamb. Give glory to God for the Lamb. And finally... Who's invited? The angel says, blessed are those who are invited. Well, the question is, well, who's invited? In a sense, the entire world is invited. This past week, Dustin went to the rescue mission. And before he had a, a formal um, gathering of, of being in a, in a building and presenting the gospel, he was making an invitation. Come on out. I'm going to be, he says, I'm going to be preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ can save you. Come. They're all invited. The whole world is invited. When we first started becoming um, reformed and, and, and Calvinistic, um, believing in the doctrines of grace, people would say, you don't believe that everyone can come. Well, I believe everyone's invited. And only those who have been elected by God will come. Dustin invited, I'm sure, more than four people, but four people showed up. Many are called. Only few are chosen. But let me tell you this. We affirm this. Christ is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The only way that man could be saved in all the world, for all the world. There is one Savior for all the world. He is Christ. We confess that God so loved the world that he offered to the world a Savior. That whoever believes in him from that world will be saved. We also affirm this. Let him take of the water freely and live. We believe this. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever call upon him, you will be saved. We affirm these things. Consider the ten virgins. And I was reading this with my my family the the other day. Five foolish, five prudent. The scriptures say in Matthew 25, 5. Now while while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and fell asleep. It wasn't as though the, the, the wise were awake, wide awake. They also fell asleep. They got drowsy. 
Here's the difference, though. Before they fell asleep, they prepared themselves for the coming of the bride, of the bridegroom, while the um, unwise did not. But at midnight, there was a shout. Here's the shout. Behold, the bridegroom. Here's the, here's the invitation. Come out to meet him. The invitation is, let's go. Who's ready? They all were called, but only those who were prepared and expectant, only those went into the wedding feast of the Lamb. The message of invitation to come to Christ, to be saved from the punishment of your just sin, it's to all the world. It goes out to all the world, and it will continue to go out into, into all the world until, until it reaches the four corners of the world. This may very well be the last time that you were invited to come to Christ. Um, little ones, older ones, middle-aged ones, all you who have ears to hear, this may be the very last time that you hear the invitation to come to Christ. Be like those who are wise. If you respond with readiness, then you are among those who are faithful and wise. And you are among those who will experience and know full blessing on the day when the Lamb comes for you, his bride. In one sense, we're all called. But in the other sense, there are only a few who are chosen. Those who have been foreloved by God are those who will respond to the invitation. You know this. Those who are the predestined ones, those who are elected by God from the foundation of the world, they will respond to the invitation to come to the Lamb. Those who respond have been enabled to respond. You, you respond to the call because you have been made alive by God. Uh, you have been empowered by his spirit. Uh, when we were dead in our sins and trespass, God made us alive together with Christ. It is the work of God. You have responded not because of something within you that you mustered up, but because God has worked something in you. God did this. Well, how do I know that I've responded to the invitation then? Have you believed the gospel? Have you believed upon Christ? Do you trust that Christ is able to save you to the uttermost, to the fullest sense? Do you believe that... Uh, he is the perfect sacrifice for your sin, that, that you can add nothing to his finished work. Uh, do you believe that it is by the grace of God that you were saved and not by your own goodness or works? And from there, if you say yes, and, and then I would ask you another question. Are you turning from sin? And are you um, continually turning from sin and turning to your Savior? Are you finding more delight in Christ than you found in any sin in the world? Are you now convicted of sin that you commit? Because you know that it does not please God and that it is not becoming of one who has called upon the name of the Lamb. Are you putting on the wedding clothes that have been given to you for the one who trusts in Christ? Which is simply this. Are you putting on Christ? Pastor Isaiah mentioned it last week. I think it's worth repeating in Matthew chapter 22. There's a wedding feast. Oh, he didn't mention this one, but the next one. There's a wedding feast. And as the king begins to examine those who are there, he's examining, are you wearing the proper wedding attire? What is the proper wedding attire? It's Christ. Are you wearing Christ? Are you wearing his righteousness and not a righteousness of your own? Because if you are wearing a righteousness of your own, the king will say, how did you get in here? You don't belong here. Um, cast that wicked person into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth because you're not wearing the proper attire. Paul said in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on his righteousness. The proper wedding attire is the righteousness of Christ, which is what? Do you have a changed mind? Do you have a changed heart? 
is your faith in Christ alone, evidenced by faith, hope, and love, and obedience to his, his commands. And not just obedience to them, delight in them. Isaiah mentioned this last week. But I'm going to take it in a different route. Are you showing good to your neighbor and showing unique love to your brother in Christ? These are, these are evidences that, that you are putting on Christ. One day, God will separate the sheep and the goat. And the Lord will say, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here, who, here is who it's for. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The, the righteous will say of the Lord on that day, when did we do these things? And the Lord will say, to the extent that you did it to one of these, my brothers, you did unto me. The unbeliever is not a brother of Christ. Christ is our elder brother. Thank you, Pastor Isaiah, for pointing this out last week. We often think, I've got to go feed the poor, which you should. But we are showing, we are called to show a unique love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me ask you, very simply, saints, are you doing that? Not just a, a, a God bless you on the Lord's day, but are you seeking ways to do these things that Christ has said to your brother, that by doing them to your brother, you're doing them unto Christ? The Lord says they are, they are rewards that God will, provide, will give to you on that day when you simply do good to one another. Not just good to your neighbor. And sometimes we are doing better to our neighbor than we are to our brother or sister in Christ. We are doing better to the stranger. We are kinder to the stranger. We are more gentle, more long-suffering, more forgiving, more charitable to the stranger than we are to our brother and sister in Christ. It's an easy thing to think that in the new creation, our intimacy will be something just personal. And yet, over and over again in, in Revelation, we are seeing nothing but corporate reality in the new creation, meaning uh, we're going to be there together. You don't get to go to your own little private circle in heaven or your space in heaven. You won't find one there. Everything in heaven is something corporate. It's yours intimately, but it's shared corporately. Together we lift our voices in heaven. Together we stand with Christ. Together we bow down. Together we endure. Are you doing good to one another? And if not, may I ask you, what is stopping you from doing good to one another, your brother? Endurance and holding fast to the testimony of Christ reveals not just it is just one aspect of our righteous deeds. Love and charity are the other side for those who are marching on with you to Zion. My son, um, maybe I just walk fast. Um, sometimes we'll be walking and, and we're supposed to be walking together, but I find him behind and I'll, I, 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 he knows this. I always say, walk with me, walk, walk with me, not behind me, walk with me. We're walking together, yes? It's one of the ways that you show good to one another when you are walking with them. And, and one of the ways that you walk with them is by caring for them. They, I care that you're with me. Keep going. We're, we're going to be okay. Keep pressing on. You're going to be okay. Do you need anything? I will do my best to get to you. I'm in need. Will you help me? And when we do these things, we do them unto our head. Christ Jesus. Pastor Isaiah said that's 
we encourage each other, one another, hand in hand, as we march on. And then we will finally reach that, that, that day. And let me say as we're landing now, what hallelujahs. We just read them in the beginning of chapter 19. Four hallels. What, what hallelujahs we will sing. What hallelujahs we will raise to him on that glorious day. What delight will be upon all of the people of God when we receive that face-to-face vision of, 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 our, of our God. The angel declares, say this, John. If you're one of the ones who have been graced with this invitation, there is a blessing that awaits you that you receive now in portion, but that you will know completely on that final day. Here's the perfect way to end, I think. Because I was trying to come up with ways to say it, and here's, here's what happened, Lily. 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I, I, earlier, I was fathoming the depths of uh, uh, plumbing, right? Oh, the depths, Paul was, and, and, and Paul would say, you don't even know. No mind can conceive, no ear has even heard, no heart can even imagine the things that God has prepared for you who love him. You think what was heard today was good? There are better sermons, I think, that do it better. And they don't even come close to what Paul's saying. You don't even, even the, even the most poetic, even the, even the one who talks the slowest and who has the best accent, cannot even get you close to what, what is prepared for those who love God. And we won't be there as spectators. We won't be standing on the crowd like I was doing for my son yesterday. Go! Run! We will be there as participators. We participate now in the divine, in the divine life. And on that day, we will have it and know it to the fullest sense. Closing question, will you be there? You've had an invitation today. Don't miss that day. This today, if you hear me now, may be the last invitation that God has given you to respond to the grace that he provides in the Lamb. Believe him. Show fruit. And you will one day receive the blessing that the Lamb gives to all those who have trusted in him. To God be the glory. Let us pray.